say is, um, just a quick notice, we've got um, something which we call the Church Members Fund in, in the church, and um, what that does is, is, is so we can support members of our, our community here who have in, in, in financial hardship. That, that's, that's what it's about. So I've got no ability to not be distracted. I am a teacher, so please hang on to your children. And, um, you know, and, and if you're following the Bible on your phone, I'll probably tell you off because I think you're, you're doing that. I, I am sorry. I just say as it is. Um, so we've got the church members fund. It isn't the stuff that makes the church fight. It's not what pays the, the wages and the bills and whatever. So yeah, whatever you do, do not put your tithes and offerings into the church members fund. But what it's there, it's there for hardship. I just wanted to say very quickly thank you for those people who uh, started to make standing um, orders to, or whatever it's called to that. Um, what we're asking for is, is like I say, not the title of things. What we want is we want a standing order, if you're willing to do it, of five, ten, no, not ten, five, three, two, or one pound a month, just so that we're ready to support people in need in the church. That, that's all, all, all I'm asking. That's the end of my notice. Right, next thing. I'm going to tell you something about myself. I, um, I became a Christian when I was 16. I went to university when I was 19, on my 19th birthday. I got dropped off at university. I said to my mum and dad, you're going to hang around. And they couldn't wait to get away. <laughs> uh, so I was there, I was at university, I, I was at university, I got involved in the Christian Union, um, which was very nice, and um, one day I, I was at a Christian Union house party, and they said, they said about reading the Bible, and I, up until recently, followed a Bible reading plan that I had devised myself, okay? <laughs> Right, and I'm just going to tell you what it was. I start in Genesis. I read everything till I get to Revelation. Then I go back to Genesis. It takes me, because I wasn't, uh, I, I was really good at maths at school, that's how I've made my living. I wasn't a good reader. It takes me about two and a half years, I get through the Bible, and I do that. And then one, one day, I got given an ESV, so I started in Genesis, and I read through to Revelation, then I went back to the NIV, because the words were easier. Um, so that, that's how I, I read the Bible, and here comes a moment of honesty. Some of it I just don't understand. Some of it, you just think, oh, I don't get it. And then, someone, uh, it was actually the day of my daughter's wedding, someone dropped off one of the bridesmaids around our house, and they said, I've got this chronological Bible. I thought, chronological Bible? What the chronological Bible did, and I, I got my wife to buy me one for a birthday, I can't remember what was it, but 
Was it birthday? But not this year, it was like a long time ago, wasn't it? I, you'll see, see why in a moment. But what it does is it tries to put it all together so it's all going at the same. So, like, you start with Genesis, we're probably ending Revelation, I haven't read it all yet. But, but it, it ties together the stuff that's happening at the same time, which is quite useful. And I'm going to just show you, if you have to look at me, this is, this is my Bible that I have read a number of times. This here is Ezra. Okay, that's about, I don't know, 35, 40% of the way through the Bible. Is that okay? Just to show you, that's my bookmark pressure. This bigger bookmark is, uh, is Haggai, right? And that's about, I would say, about 80% through the Bible. But Haggai is a prophet and he's speaking at the same time as Ezra is a history book. Okay, so they tie together. So I was reading them. Anyway, um, I'll tell you a little bit of the history, then I'm going to read it. But basically, what I'm going to say is, is two things. I'm going to read a bit of the Bible. I'm going to try and say, I believe it applies to us as a church in this way. But it's not going to be a really heavy thing that applies to you. Because I'm sharing this because I thought I ought to preach because I'm an elder. And I didn't know what else to say other than the thing that God's recently said to me. So I'm going to finish off by saying what the testimony is, why I'm sharing this. Is that okay? So you understand that, right? So we've, we've clarified all of that. So... Um, don't know why I put my I put my glasses on, so I feel I look clever, but um, I'm not going to bother with that. So right, so the background is this: the people of Israel they go into the Promised Land. They're not that 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 good. You have to oh, good people, and, and and a lot of basically it's a mess up. Uh, kingdom splits. Off go the northern kingdom of Israel. We're left with Judah. Then Nebuchadnezzar comes along go into captivity, the temple's destroyed. And then that's really bad. And then we have we have to wait a, a bit for a, a, a guy called Cyrus. He's a Persian. He's overthrown the Babylonians. Right? Okay, so that's stay with me. He's overthrown the Babylonians and he becomes the king. Now he's got a different world view to um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, I've conquered this, uh, the, the world because, um, I think because my God's better than your God or, or stuff like that. But King Cyrus, he, he, wants, he's, he wants to cover his bases. And he goes, right, you people here who are taking, who were taken into captivity, you go back, you rebuild your temple because if you rebuild your temple, then you can pray to your God for the safety and well-being of the king and his sons. He's basically covering his bases. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so they go back and they get told to build the temple. Now, um, as they're, they're building the temple, people around there, they don't like it. And they write off to the king and they go, Jerusalem 
You let them rebuild the temple. I had that struggle. That, that used to be a really, really troubled place. And they used to rule and stuff like that. You don't want to do it. So there's opposition. They they started building the temple, but they have they, they built the altar really. Um, and there's opposition, so um, uh, so the kings have stopped, and, and that's during Cyrus's reign. And then there's uh, guys called Xerxes and Artaxerxes. They're not going to tease each other about their names, are they? Yeah. Um, and uh, we get to that point, and um, then then there's King Darius. Now I reckon. That there was a number of King Dariuses, so don't get confused one Darius about another. I'm not going to explain what they are, the difference between the Dariuses, because I don't know. But um, anyway, so so we we pick it up. This is um, this this ties together. Let, let me just tell you, I've said about Ezra. This is, we're not going to read this, I'm going to read it in Haggai, because Haggai's the, the bloke who spoke to me. But it, it's really the end of Ezra, very end of Ezra chapter 4, and the start of chapter 5, um, it, it says uh, there, but I'm going to read Haggai chapter 1 to you. Um, I'm just going to read chapter 1, we're not going into the whole book, but I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to read it to you, the names to look forward to, Darius, he's the king, and there's two leaders in, um, they've just returned from exile, the people there, they've been there, I think about 20 years, I, I don't know, you know, people on the tape can message in, I wasn't 23 years okay. but um, there's a guy called I'm going to get his name right, otherwise I'll panic. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Now, he is the civic leader. He's the governor of Jerusalem, right? So he's called Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. He appears elsewhere in the Bible. He appears in Ezra, and he also appears in the genealogy of Jesus. He's a descendant of David, okay? So he is one of... Uh, Important leader there. The other person is Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat. He's the priest. So we've got the religious and the civic leaders. Okay, I've given you their names just so when it all comes up, you don't go, oh, well, who's that? I've just told you. Okay, so I'm now going to read it. Is that all right? I've, I've said. And um, um, remember, I'm not going to say anything heavy to the church. But what I will do is, at the end of it, the heavy thing is said to me, and it's, but I just, hopefully to encourage you, read the Bible, even the crazy bits you don't understand, because God will speak to you. So, uh, this is it. Have you got the ESV or the NIV? I've just put it on the NIV, is that right? Yeah, that's great, because <laughs> uh, the ESV is too tricky for me. Right. <laughs> in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while the house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty said. Be careful not to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You're, you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Be careful not to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring out timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld, withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. So uh, there's the story. I hope you liked it. I hope you're encouraged to read the minor prophets and the major prophets and the in-between prophets. So um, I made some observations. I'll make some observations about what I think the story says, and then I'll try and say what it says to us as a church. Don't worry, it's not heavy. Okay? So, I wrote in my notes, and I disagree with my notes, the people were disobedient. I don't think they were disobedient, I think they just forgot what they were there for. Um, and they got caught up in their own little lives. They got caught up in what they were, what was going on for them. And um, it's a bit like what Natalie said about the, the strength of obedience to God. And they've lost their way. They, they were, they, they just got caught up in themselves. They'd forgotten about God. I think it's also saying truthful to say, God made things difficult for them as a result of what happened. Now, I am going to 
to say that's what that has to do with happen. I'm going to make a statement here. That doesn't always happen. Just because you are disobedient doesn't mean that things go wrong for you. Just because you are obedient doesn't mean that things go right for you. Can I just tell you, if you wonder, if you're driving along one day and you're looking for a parking space and you can't find one and you go, God doesn't love me, I can't find a parking space. It's not true. It doesn't work like that. If you want to know that God loves you, there's a bloke dying for you on the cross. That's how you know God loves you. That's how you know that you are cared for. That's how you know you have value as a human being because God came down and he died for you. He loves you that much. So don't think, oh, I've got a cold. Don't think that. This hasn't gone right for me. Don't think that. But in this case, it is what happens. So I don't want, I'm just going to say something, and if I get shot down in front of there is no prosperity gospel. So, um, so we, we go through life and things go well, things go badly, but in this case, because of their disobedience, they brought things on themselves. And I, I think there is, there is a principle in, in that. Deliverance, do things wrong. It, 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 it doesn't serve God. Anyway, so things go wrong. Final observation, the people responded. Did you see that? They started building the temple, they, they did that. Right. I looked at why did they respond? What happened to them to make them respond? And I'm going to put my glasses on so I can double check that I read my notes. The first thing that happened that we know why they responded to God spoke to them. God spoke clearly through the prophet Haggai. That's what it says. It, it just says they they heard God. God had spoken. The next thing, I wish I, I wish I could go on. Um, the next thing it says that the people feared God, and that's not a. It's a reverent fear. We understand that we're interacting as Christians with the creator of the universe. We have a reverence about God. He's awesome, and I'm not. So they have a fear of God. They know God is almighty, God's all-powerful. So uh, we say, you know, God spoke to them. The people feared God. And also it says that God stirred up their spirit. So I think those are the things where, where the impact happens, that there's a change here that happens. We need to hear God, we need to not ignore God, we need to acknowledge him as God, and we need to allow him to stir us up. Um, and, um, and then he said something really good, which he said to us as well. He said, So, and that, that's what he said, reach him up, he said, reach him to community of believers here as well. 
Now, when they did that, straight away, they so they start rebuilding, and straight away opposition comes. They've been told by repeated kings, stop building. And the opposition comes, and you can check it out in um, in Ezra as it goes on. Because what happens is, is people come and they go, what are you doing? You've been told not to do this. And they say, look, King Cyrus told us to build this temple. Write back to King Darius and see what he says. And, and they write back to King Darius, the local people who are in opposition to the building, and King Darius, as a search mate, finds that. And then King Darius writes back and says, actually, this is what King Cyrus said. They should carry on building, and what's more important, you've got to pay for it. So the, the, the local people who were in opposition end up having to pay for the building of the temple, which is quite sweet, isn't it? And they've been obedient and God's in it, and that's lovely. So um, I thought we'd like that. Anyway, so what's the application for us here at the church? I promise, did, did I say heavy or unheavy? Unheavy. So I'm not going to go, oh, this is what you've got to do. So, but I, I think there's stuff in it. I think one of the things that the people miss out, they put their eyes on God. And I think we as a community have got to change our relationship to put Jesus first. I think that's what we want individually, but that's also what we want as a community. I want to live for Jesus. I really, really do. I really do. So I think that's the first thing that we do, and I think that's in our hearts that we want to do that. The next thing is about hearing God and knowing what he's saying. I'm going to ask you to do something. Will you pray for the elders and people in leadership in the church? Will you pray for good discernment? Will you pray that we hear God? Because sometimes I think it's very frustrating if you're following him. They're very pregnant. But will you pray for discernment? That we'll hear the Holy Spirit. You're, you're allowed to say whatever you like, but, but we've got to hear God. And in the end, in the end, I don't want to stand in front of Jesus and say, Why didn't you listen to me? I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to trust him. I want to follow him. But I need, I need discernment for that. And we need discernment. So that's another thing I. The other thing is, what's God said to this church? What have we got to do? How do we respond to it? Um, and Neil goes on about two prophetic words which have been said over this church years ago, well before you joined the church, actually. One of the things is, and it's, it sounds very un-PC, but, but this is the word that he said, that this church will be a multi-colored faith. And you heard, and, and it won't be that attractive, but God will love it. And this church must be, we must be multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-whatever in this church. We will grow as Christians when we hear each other's point of view and each other's understanding of God. It will be a blessing to us that it's something that we believe has been said prophetically about this church. Another thing that's been said prophetically about this church is that we will be 
life and have done pain. Now, I'm always forget that I know there's, there's three things. The Adullam's cave is where David went, and people have basically sort of fed up with life when he gathered round him. Um, and it's in Samuel 22, I'll try and get it, it's people who are depressed, discouraged, and in debt. Am I right, Neil? Yeah. I've got it here. Finally. So, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I, I think we do that by welcoming people. I think we just, the people coming, we welcome them. I think that we're starting to equip ourselves. Like 1915, Pat Money, coaching course. People went on that. That's good. We're, we're, we're getting ready. We're getting ready for God, what he wants to bring about in this church. I think that's good. I chatted to um, a member of this church, and they said, I, I chatted to my colleague, they're struggling with their mental health thing, uh, and then there's someone who used to work with me, their mental health, and, and then there's someone else. They, they got multiple problems with their mental health. And, yeah, that's because your heart and your soul is changed. That's God working through you. That's really encouraging, I think. But we've got to welcome people and be accepting of people and loving of people. I think that's the call that God's put on us as a church. Okay, so um, so I think we, we cherish Jesus. We, we, we pray for discernment, especially for the leaders of this church, for the elders. And then we remember what God's called us to do, and we welcome people. So that's that. I, is that too heavy, or is that okay? Right, that's all right. Okay, the pastor says that's all right, so I'll carry on. Right, now, this is what it said to me. What am I doing reading Haggai? I'm talking to you about Haggai and saying, I'm listening, Mr. Haggai. Well, I was listening. Okay, so here's a little snippet of my life. Now, you, you might not find it interesting, but I find it interesting, so bear with me, and uh, I'll tell you about myself. Um, I, this basically all started when I was 19. When I was 19, I was at university, and I ended up, by accident, and through my own stupidity and a stupid prayer, going on a teaching course. So I am learning to be a teacher, and I honestly didn't want to be a teacher. And I ended up on this course, and um, the key moment that persuaded me to go on my course was when I chatted to my mum, who um, uh, went on to be, be a pastor. My mum was uh, a really strong Christian, but she says it as she is, as it is. And my mum said to me, the crucial thing, and it's one of the things that shaped my life, my mum said, well, don't pray stupid prayers then. And I prayed the stupid prayer, and I ended up having to follow through it, and I, I, I was trying to be a teacher. So just before my 20th birthday, I'd go on my first teaching practice. Um, the day before I had to go on my teaching practice, let me tell you how keen I am, I prayed I would never wake up. I just wanted Jesus to come back, and I would never have to be a teacher. So, um, 
So there, there I was, and, and I finally I go along, I do, do go along there, I'm, I'm chatting to the guy who was at the head of Matthews called Dave Parrish. Uh, no, Dave Parrish, sorry. And, and I'm chatting to him, and I'm in, um, I'm in Bath in, in, in the West Country, and I'm at the only, then the only mixed comp in, in Bath, and um, I'm chatting to the head of Matthews. And I said, well, how do you end up doing that? And he said to me, he said to me that he was, he was in, when he was on teaching maths, he chatted to the head of maths. And the head of maths said, I'm the head of maths. And Dave Paris went, that sounds pretty cool. I'd like to do that. When he said that, something resonated in my heart. I think God put that in my heart in the same way, although this is far more important, in the same way when I met Jesus. Oh, that was a non negotiable. It was about that. that. But also, I know the exact moment when I know that I wanted to marry my wife. Okay, so I'm that kind of person. That's how, how it works with me. And I know that, and I know three things. That, that I, I really feel committed to, to do. And um, so there I was, a reluctant teacher. Here I am, 35 years later. I'm a teacher. Um, I, I heard just before I was 20, when we were head of maths, just before I was 30, I became uh, head of maths. I'm 57 now. Do the arithmetic, I've been a head of maths. Um, I've worked at the, my last school for 25 years, basically doing the same job. And I like being a teacher. I think I've got a calling on my life to be a teacher. But sometimes, as I've gone on, and I don't know if you're similar age to me, if you're similar age, you've done the same job, and then you just think, people come along who are younger than you, who just kind of like, kind of change the goalposts a bit. You just think, hang on, I used to be thought I was quite good at this, and now you're changing that, and now you're doing that. And then, can I just have a quick shout out? I know this is a bit out of order. Who is a teacher or has been a teacher at some point in their life? Could you put your hand up now? Okay, right, okay. Who, keep your hand up, keep your hand up if you've ever enjoyed an office bed. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. so, well, I, I'm, I'm going through, as, and then, and then, um, and then, at school, like, Austin, it's so important, isn't it? It's so important, because two strangers are going to come to a school where you've been putting your heart and soul into teaching, and in two days, two days, two total strangers are going to decide whether your school's any good. And you might be the one person who messes up your interview and totally scuppers your whole school. It's lovely being a teacher, I love it. So, um, so there I was, and I've been head maths for however long, I've been a teacher, I, uh, and, and I started going, and we had a practice office Practice office I, I know I'm going on a bit, but I never get a chance. Preach, and they're better preachers than me, so I probably won't for another few months. But um, I, I, I came out, and Neil will remember it, I came 
that after my practice, not the real thing, the practice, and I walked into a room, we're supposed to be having an elders meeting, there's Neil and there's John, and all we've got is, I walked up there, I can't do this job. I cannot do this job. I cannot tick the box for the way people want it to be. I can't do it. I've got to stop. I've got to change. I've got to find something to do. I want to go and just teach Taylor and that's in a nice school where, where I don't have to live. That's what I can do. I've just had enough. And uh, I went home and I, I hope don't mind me saying this. And I had a chat to my wife. And I said, I've been to the elders and I've said, I've got to stop. I can't do this anymore. And my wife said two things to me which were true and right. She said, one, do not make these decisions before you've spoken to me. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Number two. Number two. She said, your son still has two years of university you can pay for that. <laughs> she didn't actually say it like that. I said that for comic effect. But, but she did say there was a financial imperative on me. Carry on working. So, um, so I'm, I'm in this situation. So we get negotiating. So we negotiate for me to get out of teaching. Okay. And then I've said to Neil, I'd like to be able to help a bit more around the church. Now that's a godly thing, isn't it? I, I just want to do that, and, and, and then I can go and do what I do because I am a good maths teacher. I can teach maths well, and I can go and do schools and just teach a level where people don't shout at you and things like that. No, they don't often shout at you, it's just hard work. So I was doing that and then I read Kakai. And this is what it said. Is it time for you yourself to be living in your panel's houses? Well, this house remains it's not fair, God. It's not fair. You can't. You can't stop me from. I don't want to be ahead of maths. But he said it. It's not time to finish. I put a call on your life. I didn't want to do it, but I heard God. But if you hear God, you want to get confirmation, don't you? There's no point if you, it's unwise to hear one prophetic word, bring an interpretation to it, and then just go off because you can be, you need to have confirmation, you need to have it. Thanks, God. Because Al woke up that day, because I've been talking about I want to retire. Now, how you probably work this out, she's three years younger than me. So, um, so she woke up, she woke up and just went, I'm not old. And that, that was it, wasn't it? I'm not old anymore. You weren't thinking about retirement, you think, I've still got things to do, I've still got things to offer. So God brought confirmation that I had to carry on working. And I had to carry on. I don't know that I need to be spending my life there. I think it turns out that it's not up to me and Ali to negotiate that. I think that's 
someone cleverer. I didn't do that, so but I'll carry on doing it. But the thing that changed, my heart changed. Just like it happened in this, my heart changed. And uh, I went into school that day and I told my head teacher, especially my deputy head teacher, that I heard God. God said this. I checked with my head teacher. I said, You're not going to do it. I'll carry on working with you. Um, and I went into school and the thing, Al said, well, why don't you mention it? I went into school and on the Monday I went into school, this was the weekend before the half term, I went into school and I had the biggest, you can't say cock up in the sermon, so I'm so saying that, I had the biggest communication mess up that I've ever had in my 27 years being in the department. Just an absolute mess up. It was catastrophically bad for um, first and students. And the thing was, normally, the way I was feeling before, I was absolutely imploded on that. And, and, and I thought, well, these things happen. If I could help the kids as best I could, God kept me head of this.
you want to, have you got a song you want to? I do. 